Hey everyone, and welcome to this very special edition of the CISO Experience, hosted by myself, Simon Linstead, for the InfoSec Live community, and sponsored by Bramfit Technology Labs, whose sponsorship makes this exciting series possible. We have a very exciting session today, a little bit different than the usual CISO experience, where we have Stu's Akame's advisory CISO, who before joining their team served as the CISO for Nordstrom Bank, Managing Director of IR and TI at Charles Schwab and Senior Technical Director of Cybersecurity and Group CTO at Northrop Grumman. He also focuses on collaborating with Akamai's customers to make sure they're successful in defending themselves and their customers. And he also helps determine where Akamai should be focusing its security platform's capabilities as a whole. Um, Steve's also published a book on cyber warfare and holds CISSP, ITIL and PMP certifications. And he's going to talk to us today about the lessons he's learned from his journey in cybersecurity. So without further ado, let's bring Steve on and get this experience started. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your story with us today. Um, before we launch into that, I know I've given the audience a bit of background about you, but would you mind just telling the audience a bit about yourself and, and where you've come from? Certainly. So, you know, I have uh, grew up kind of as a, as a techie, um, more of a, a geek than a nerd. And, and so throughout my life, I've, I've been engaged as soon as computers were available. I was in them and was able to turn my hobby into a career. And so uh, within the Army, I ended up uh, building out networks and, and doing kind of that uh, info warrior kind of thing, built out a computer emergency response team for the Army as a defense contractor, uh, switched over to the commercial world, worked in both retail and finance. Uh, so I've done a lot of compliance work as well as operational work. Uh, built out a number of security operations centers, uh, been involved in incidents and incident response, uh, both first party and third party. And so have that, have that blend of both the compliance regime and the operational side. So I've really had a fantastic career. Now I'm at Akamai. Akamai is, uh, you know, probably best known as a content delivery, making the internet go faster. Um, but they also have uh, almost 50% of their business now is information security. So I'm the Akamai Advisory CISO, um, helping understand where our tools should go, what capacities we need, uh, you know, going from just a web application firewall, expanding into protecting employees, expanding into protecting infrastructure with micro segmentation. Uh, and so across the, the 15 to 20 security products we have, uh, making sure that both it's working for the customers and our vision is the right one. Do, do you feel, oh, I don't know what's happened to the camera there. Let me change that. Do you, do you feel that your, um, your diverse experience across the different sectors, so from the compliance side right across to the technical side, do you think that's added a massive amount of extra value for you in the role that you do now? It has for me. Uh, I, I need to understand both how the tools work and how the tools have to be able to support the companies in being compliant. Um, you know, it, it is it is ideal to build a good system and then have the system be compliant rather than focus on building a compliant system and then stopping as soon as it's compliant in my experience. And so working with customers, understanding what their challenges are and where we can help them solve those challenges is a great place to be. 
I bet. And today we're going to look at how you've learned from that experience and hopefully share that experience with our with our audience today, especially those who are looking to either further their existing career in cybersecurity or perhaps even for those, you know, like myself 18 months ago, who was looking to pivot from either a different industry or maybe transitioning from military service. So let's let's talk about what you've learned and how you can relate what you've learned to the journey that people face in cyber. Yeah, and certainly. And so, so as I think about this, you know, you'll run into a lot of terms out there. Uh, you know, do you, how do you find somebody who can be a coach or a mentor or a trainer or an advisor or a sponsor? Uh, and so, and for somebody like me, who's more senior, how do I find a reverse mentor that's helping me keep in touch with what's coming up and what are the newest and latest techniques and, and basically just being able to understand at a high level how to do that. And so as we think through that, I want to, you know, start off with, uh, you know, how you move into the industry. Then we'll talk a little bit about for people that are in the industry, how you increase your skills. And then finally, I want to touch on, um, you know, how to guide your career, how to figure out where you want to be in the future. Uh, and so on that first one, you know, if you're thinking about coming into this field, it's complex. There are so many different roles. And so I've tried to say there are, there are generally three buckets. The first bucket is the engineering and operations. Are you going to build things? Uh, you'll hear a term like DevOps and DevSecOps and, and engineering. And so a typical engineer today would go out and build an antivirus server, a web application firewall server. Uh, you know, we have different capabilities like our JavaScript protection. So somebody has to, to deploy that, manage it, update it. And so that's kind of the, are you a builder? Um, you know, as we move into more and more into code development, we have serverless environments. And so in a serverless environment, you can't load antivirus into there. So how do you write requirements to make sure that you have access control? And you have logging so you can conduct an investigation. And, and whatever, you know, depending on what industry you're in, you may have payment card industry, credit cards, PCI requirements. If you're in finance, you have another set of requirements. If you're critical infrastructure, different nations require different requirements. And so as you think through all this, you know, how, how are you going to go in and build a, be a builder across these different infrastructures? The next one we've already touched on is compliance. We need someone to, to manage. We need someone to audit. We need to some, make sure somebody we're do, make sure we're doing the right thing. And so again, now you're going to be someone who is going in and reviewing and saying, you know, PCI has, you know, 250 requirements. Are we complying with all 250? Um, and as we change our business models, uh, are we still compliant? And as we move into different kinds of infrastructure, you know, and we have our data in different places, knowing where that data is and ensuring we're doing the right things for our customer and the company. And those are hard to do. Uh, there are so many different compliance regimes out there. And you have to have this blend of knowing the documentation, knowing what the rules are, and understanding the technology, but not being a technologist necessarily. And so this is somebody who's very organized, someone who's willing to go in and do that kind of work. And then there's the last bucket, which are the analysts, the people that enjoy solving that puzzle, 
you know, you might be in a security operations center looking at alerts. And as those alerts come in, you're going to say, okay, I have to go investigate this. And then as you get more senior, maybe you go into forensics or you go into a red team or a penetration testing team. And then, you know, a red team is just a different type of penetration testing team. We talk about red on blue attacks, you know, a, a penetration testing team going after the security operations center, the SOC. And so there are a number of different analysts where you're, you know, the penetration tester is looking at the network, looking for a vulnerability, trying to solve the puzzle of how do I break in versus the SOC operators trying to solve the puzzle of how do I detect somebody who has broken in. And so does, does all that make sense as I talk about different ways to think about, you know, where you want to go in this field? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I've been sitting here wishing we'd had this conversation two years ago. So what, what rings really true is, well, one, the lack of understanding of how many different roles there are in the industry, but also matching your own skill set. And I suppose what you enjoy as well to the roles in the industry and I mistakenly went down the penetration testing route, clearly based on my personality type and what I'm actually good at, it was a mistake. So I think for our audience, this is spot on, Steve. Yeah, please continue. Yeah, and, and this, one of the things, one of the great drills I like is, you know, go out to Dice or Monster or, or whatever job board you want and kind of read what the requirements are and, and you'll get an insight of, you know, is it an analyst job? Is it a compliance job? And, and, and we'll talk more about getting a job later, but, you know, you can start to map the skills and the desires and all of that. Um, you know, and, and some people are going to say, well, I want to go over here because it makes more money. Uh, I will tell you that any of these roles are, are going to be able to pay the mortgage uh, as you get more senior. Uh, they're all very good. You know, you could end up being the head of risk management for a Fortune 500 company and you're making just as much money as a compliance person as a CISO. The only caveat I would say, I suppose, with regards to that is I spent a lot of my life driven by money and it was the wrong decision. And I think this industry, more than any other that I've ever come across, if you're only in it for the money, it's the wrong industry, in my opinion. I think you have, you uh, have to have the passion and the drive for it, don't you, Steve? Well, and that's why I said, but and the money's kind of a wash, you know, the compliance, the head of risk management is making as much as the person in charge of security. It's just yeah. a bit different aspect. One is managing risk. One is managing more technology. And that's an oversimplification for a quick soundbite. But, but as you think through this, you know, the CTO is making as much as the chief risk officer as a CISO. So the builder, the risk management, and the you know head of the infrastructure, technology infrastructure, they're all extremely well-paying jobs. So I wouldn't also say you know there there's you know a, an advantage financially for going into one or to the other. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just as you come into the industry, just a way to think about what do I want to do. Um, and so now I want to talk a little bit about if you're in the industry. Um, and I, I like to build things. I think of this as kind of a three-legged stool. And, and if, one of, if you're strong in just one of these, you don't have a good foundation. If you're strong in two, you have a wobbly stool. Sure. You need to be strong in all three of these 
to, to be a well-balanced professional in the field. And so the first is you want to be an expert in your chosen bucket, your chosen field. And so if you're in cybersecurity and you don't like to learn, you should probably think about going into another field. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, it is brutal. Uh, every eight to 18 months, you're retooling your skill set. You know, uh, last year I had to take courses and all of my professional development was focused around artificial intelligence. Because I have vendors coming to me, you know, and saying, oh, we have artificial intelligence. We have machine learning. We have this. We have that. They have I had to... <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them anyway, Dave. That's well, and, and so I have to be smart enough. I have to be an expert in my chosen field. So I had to learn the skill. I had to learn what it is how I want to apply it to me. And so again, you know, one of the things we, we do is, is we talk about zero trust. And I tell our customers, you know, don't necessarily listen to me when I tell you what zero trust is. You need to define what zero trust is for your company and your organization. Uh, here in the United States, we have something called NIST. Uh, and, and NIST 800-207 is an entire fundamental document on what zero trust can be. And I encourage people to go look at that and define zero trust for themselves before they start talking to a vendor. So again, that's building up your skill set before you go out and, and try to do something. And so for me last year, it was artificial intelligence. When I have somebody come in and talk to me now, I first of all tell them what I'm looking for so they don't just kind of tell me, oh, you know, I could solve all your problems with my artificial intelligence. I'm like, well, this is my problem. Can you solve it? And that's a very different discussion when I'm leading the discussion about what I need, not they're leading the discussion telling me what they have. I bet that, um, ruins, I bet that ruins their sales pitches, Steve. <laughs> it, it helps them focus. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and so... You know, and so as we as we think through this, you know, how do you how do you have to be an expert? So again, no matter which one of those buckets you're in, so if you're an engineer and your company's moving from servers to serverless, you're gonna have to change your expertise or go to a company that stays with what you're an expert in. And so that means retooling. Uh, if you're in compliance, you know, regulations change over time. You know, best practices change over time. If you're an analyst, the tools you use are changing over time. Uh, and and so no matter what field you're in, you want to be an expert. And that so means professional say, development. Sorry, Steve. Would you say that some of the areas are more fast-paced with regards to change than others? Or I'm just thinking from a compliance framework point of view. I, I mean, I generally don't know the answer to this question. Do the frameworks adapt and change as much as probably the the vulnerabilities, the tool sets, et cetera, on the on the analyst side? Um, so I don't know that the changes to the framework are as challenging as applying the framework to the changing business models. Yeah. And so you know, I I have a framework, and it says you have to have antivirus. So. Now we're going to serverless environment. You can't put a traditional antivirus in there. Now I, as a compliance expert, have to work with this new environment to figure out how to be compliant. And yeah. since I can't just buy a tool and shove it in there, what do I do? 
And so again, this now takes X, I'm not the only compliance person solving this. I have to stay up, educate myself, figure out how it's being done and move that best practice into a new environment. So yeah, none of this is easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's um, the one thing I, I underestimated the breadth of the industry, I think, from an outside perspective. And I think a lot of people do that when they're trying to break in. And again, it's, it's back to something I always talk about, which is marketing budgets and people being told red or blue, you know, which, as you've already said, are both analyst type roles, both sit in one of those buckets. But everyone seems to completely miss off the other two. However, in the last 12 months, there seems to be more of an awareness around GRC you're starting to actually see some GRC courses come into the market where before all the training was swamped and flooded around SOC, you know, becoming a SOC analyst or a red team. I, and I'll push back a little. I think you might have run into that more right away. But, uh, yeah, there's always been a lot of that training on both sides. Is there? Uh, okay. And and some of the training is more balanced in, in and some of the, the actual regulations are more balanced in what they're requiring. You know, if you go look at some of the requirements, they're all not about antivirus. Some of them are, you know, do you have a process to manage risk? Do you have, you know, how often do you talk to the board? And and so different things, it all depends on what you focus on. Uh, well, I think, and we I think all get laser focused. It reaffirms, reaffirms the point in a way that all I saw from an outside perspective was the marketing from the firms who are selling the training for pen testing or blue team. So I think there might have been masses of it around before, but from someone's perspective, I mean, this is 18 months, two years ago, looking in, there didn't seem to be as much of a push on that. So hopefully as more and more people become aware of it outside of the industry, the existing training will become more accessible and available. Absolutely. So again, first thing you want to do is, is be knowledgeable about what you do. The second thing is you have to, be able to either lead people or lead a project. You know, you can be an individual contributor and have influence, but most of us as we move up at some point are going to manage more than just what we're doing. You may not lead people, you may manage a project, but, but if you're going to grow, you need those skills. So you can, you know, if, if you're gonna go become a scrum leader uh, in DevOps, then you're managing a team around scrum. Uh, you may go out and get your project manager institute uh, PMI certification. Um, you could go out and, and there are a number of leader courses. There you can be certified as a CISO and we'll talk about certifications later. Um, but, but I think the second leg here is you know, whether even if your project is just you, you've got to be able to get stuff done. You have to manage your time. You have to manage people. You have to manage resources. You have to manage the budget. You have to deliver a quality product. You need to complete your investigation on time. You need to get your company certified before the external auditor shows up. And so no matter what you're doing, the second fundamental thing is you have to be able to get it done on the project side, on the leadership side, on the team side. So, so would you say that um, perhaps if you haven't got any of those qualifications in those areas, but that's that's the area that you want to head for, that it's important to try and back that up with some of those? 
you need the skills. I don't care if you get the certification. You can get the skills a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. I, had, I had somebody that was interesting tell me once that, uh, you know, that I really respected, tell me something interesting. And he basically said, if you read these five books, you'll get most of what I got in my MBA. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, so you don't have to go necessarily go through a formal course or get certified. There are so many resources out there that you can go self-train. Yeah. Uh, you just need the discipline. Yeah. I, I tend to like the a certification because it gives me an artificial deadline, but I study much beyond what their requirements are. Uh, you know, and, and well, again, I'm getting hijacked. We'll talk about certifications later. So, so first be an expert Two, be able to deliver, be able to project team, whatever you have to have those two skill sets. Now, the last thing is what a lot of us are pretty weak at. You need to understand how your company or your organization makes money, delivers yeah. on what they're doing. So if I'm responsible for securing something and I don't understand how we make money, I may focus on securing the wrong thing. You know, if, if our intellectual property is the most important thing and I'm securing the infrastructure for logins, you know, I'm, I'm leaving our crown jewels unprotected. Yeah. And so I, you have to understand this so you can judge risk. And our entire job in security is to go to the leadership and said, this is what's at risk. This is what you would have to spend to mitigate that risk. Yeah. Now you can mitigate the risk through insurance, through technology, through training your employees, whatever, however you mitigate it. You need our job is to to make sure the leadership has the ability to make a decision on where they're willing to accept risk. And then and I think, um, us and I think to be good the, stewards. I think also for the for the business to actually understand those risks, that in itself is a massive skill, Steve. That I think CISOs and advisory CISOs like yourself have to have because not all board members and owners of companies are very techie. You know, a lot of them are, come from a market trader or a financial services background rather than rather than technology. So getting them to understand what that risk actually means to them and the business, I think, is one of the things that many CISOs struggle with. Yeah, I would never talk to my board about technology. I talk to them about risk. I talk yeah. to them about impacts. I talk to them about cost of mitigation. You know, how I mitigated the technology, more and more boards are getting smart. More and more boards are having somebody on the board who has a technology background because more and more boards are dependent on technology within the company for their revenue. You yeah. know, now a retailer that that isn't online is probably struggling. And yeah. so if, if a key part of your business is online, people on your board understand that technology. Uh, but but despite all that, you're absolutely right is, um, you know, understanding how we make revenue, even at the security operations center. So you can prioritize protecting the right things. I think yeah. those three things are going to make you incredible both to your current company and future companies uh, as a valuable, you know, contributor. Um, 
And so now I'm going to share a personal technique I do, which is every six months, I kind of pick a, a field I want to study to get stronger in. Last year, uh, you know, part of the year was around six months was around artificial intelligence. I found a mentor that helped me. I took a certification course. Uh, I did a lot of uh, YouTube. I did a lot of article reading. And I was able to quickly self-educate. Uh, you know, this, this current uh, six month is radically different. You know, that was very technology oriented. You know, in my role, one of the things you've talked about earlier is the people in marketing. And, and I realized I don't really understand what they do, how they do it. And so for this next six months, I'm gonna, you know, understand how to work better with marketing, what their job is, how they do their job, what metrics are important to them. And, and so this is more of a six month of a soft business partner skill. Because if I can't work with my business partners, then I'm not a valuable member of the leadership team. I'm a technologist and I have no business talking to the board because I'm over here doing technology, not helping the business grow. And in security, we want to be someone contributing to growing the business and making sure our customers have a joyful experience. And so I hope that didn't sound harsh, but, but it really does. I want to be a good business partner, so I need to spend my time doing that last one, understanding how we make revenue. I think it's, it's massively refreshing to hear a CISO say that, that they want to understand the marketing piece. Having spent 30 years in marketing, if you can understand it, you're a better person than I am. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's, it's a lot of psychology and wishy-washiness involved, but it's definitely a very interesting subject. Um, just to touch back on something you mentioned, and I hope I'm not taking you off course, but you mentioned the word mentor. Um, you said that you found a mentor. I mean, that, that in itself seems to be a bit of a challenge for people. How did you work out who the right mentor was, Steve? Uh, so for me, uh, I ended up um, reaching out to uh, friends of mine uh, who were in marketing that I'd worked through, you know, on different in different companies. Uh, I went to our head of marketing and I said, "Hey, what advice do you have on what I should study?" Uh, and, and you know, um, one of them gave me a very very technical jargon-based. And I say jargon, not in a negative way, pejorative way, but, yeah. but, you know, when they say qualified lead, you know, gave me the things I need to go study to understand their jargon. Yeah. Another was like, you know, here's some books that I think are really good because they learn through books. Another said, here's a good community to go join. Uh, this community is where I learn a lot of things. And so, uh, so by, by this one, I have one person I go back to who's agreed to answer my questions uh, of those people I talk to. But uh, I talk to three or four people to kind of outline how I'm going to learn over this period and, and what I'm going to study. Uh, and then I have one of them a, that has agreed that they're going to come back and, and be willing to give me some of their valuable time to answer my questions as I go through this. And for me... <sighs> If you aren't setting a goal with your mentor, then you don't have a good mentor relationship. You just have somebody you like to spend time with. You know, for me, if you have a mentor, then you have goals. And the mentor is helping you get to those goals. Uh, and, and so I think you need to be really crisp on that. 
I think the the thing that rings true with me is what you just mentioned about learning styles. You know, some people like reading books, some people like listening, some people like watching videos. And again, it's super important that when searching for a mentor or working with a mentee, throwing it the other way around, that you can match up on that. Because I've also seen, um, obviously, there's a lot of promotion about mentors in the industry, paid services as well, I suppose I'm talking about, where people get lumped in with mentors that bear no relevance to what their actual goals are. So coming back to your second point, it's identifying those goals and then working with them together with the mentor to achieve them, isn't it? Absolutely, in my opinion. Um, and it'll, mentors is very, it's a chemistry. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I've seen people try to artificially run programs for mentors and, and put people together and I, it doesn't, necessarily work that effectively in my opinion uh i'm sure somebody has solved it so they they do a better job of matching but ultimately um you know it, it needs to be somebody that's willing to dedicate some time that's got some experience and that that works with you in a way that that makes sense to you and i, um, and I think you hit the nail on the head as well with the only way to find a mentor is to speak to lots of different people um because like you said, it's a relationship thing, isn't it? You, you need that relationship. And until I think it's very difficult to be matched with a mentor through an algorithm or a matching service because you really need, I mean, maybe I'm old fashioned. I need that personal contact a little bit. Now, that said, I think, and that's what we talked about at the very beginning. There's mentors, there's coaches, there's sponsors. Uh, I think you can hire a coach and a coach is going to take you through a program. And that's awesome. And so you, if you find somebody who you think is, is really got some neat insights and they offer to sell you coaching, I think that's completely legitimate. Um, it's, yeah. it's different than a mentor. I normally think of mentors is not charging you a fee. Uh, and, and I'm not saying all coaches charge fees. Uh, but that's what I was saying earlier is, you know, as we think, you know, there are trainers, mentors, advisors, coaches um but it's up to me the person that wants to get better to go find that resource i think it's uh, really important to define the difference between a mentor and a coach as well because i agree i think mentoring should be free however i would look at coaching as a paid for service and i've paid for coaches you know I, i've had a I've had a life coach in the past you know which which, to be honest with you, changed changed my life around at the time. I mean, this is a decade ago. I've had some uh, I've had some coaching from Chris Foulon um, in the industry as well, and I know his coaching courses are really good. So there is value, but again, you've got to make sure that the value is right for you, haven't you? And and again, different way to look at it. I most of my mentors have been short term. I have yeah. two or three people uh, that have been long term. Uh, and, and I don't think of them as mentors. I think of them as resources, uh, you know, and, and if I'm coming up to, you know, a big decision, I'll, I'll reach out to them. And, and at this point, they're more friends, but I don't think of them as mentors because I don't have a specific goal to achieve yeah. with them. So they're kind of my support network. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Steve, that's, that's exactly what um, the InfoSec Live community has become for me. Never mind, you know, lots of the members in there. I've got people in the community who I speak to absolutely every day, several times a day. And it's become 
it, we've become friends and we have it has become my apart from my family like an extended global support network and it's absolutely phenomenal and and relationships are critical and, and now i'm jumping a little bit into how to get a job but um <laughs> you should be networking you should develop relationships and you should manage relationships uh so i personally think you know for you to have a close relationship with more than, you know, eight to 12 people is hard to yeah. have an active relationship with more than 50 to 70 people is, is impractical. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, who are the 25 people that can help you find your next job? If you don't have that written down on a list, then you're not managing your relationships. If you don't think about, Hey, I haven't talked to somebody who's it, that I want to be in my active relationship. Then you know, reach out, manage that. And so, I really believe that you need to manage your network in a conscious way, because uh, there are quality people out there. And ultimately, I I think you need to give back. Uh, that's why I was happy to to come on and talk with you. Uh, any opportunity to give back to the people that have mentored me, uh, I absolutely owe. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really important. And so um, we've talked to Lynn a little bit about, you know, three buckets to, to think about to coming in. Uh, do you want to do you want to build? Do you want to problem solve or do you want to make sure things are, are, are being done the way they're supposed to be? Then there are, are three things to be able to do those one of those three jobs. Well, be an expert deliver your team or project, uh, and then understand the impact uh, based on how you make revenue. So, so I think that's the foundation of your career. But now let's talk about, you know, where to go with your career. And so for this, I have, again, I don't, the rule of three, I have three rules and three buckets in each of those. So the three for this on, and I call this your North Star. And so your North Star is what is the last job you have before you retire? Ultimately, the pinnacle job you would want. And so I, I thought through this and I'm trying to think, and I did not make this rule of threes <laughs> by anything but an accident. And so the three buckets here are, you can be the CEO of your own company. So kind of that you're an entrepreneur. You could be the CTO, Chief Technology Officer of a cyber company. So now you're focused on, on those technical skills. Or you can be the CISO of, let's say, a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. You know, a, a large dominant CISO. And, and now it's a lot of leadership skills. So, you know, if if I'm doing really well, I'm, I'm a good project manager, uh, and somebody says, hey, we want to make you a team lead and a people manager, but I eventually want to be a CTO. Does being a people manager of a compliance team move me towards being a CTO? It's a pay raise. I want to be doing well in the company, but it's taking me in a different direction. And so if I think about my North Star, I may say no to that opportunity. So I end up where I want now. Your North that's Star brave, can change. That's a brave thing to do, Steve, isn't it? Uh, it is. And most of us kind of manage our careers by whatever opportunity shows up in front of us. 
yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. And don't, I'm not saying I've been loyal to my North star and I'm not saying my North star that I started with is the North star I have today. Oh, that's a, ver that's a very, that's a very important point, isn't it? Because that North yes. star keeps moving. <laughs> and I, yes, I think it's legitimate for your North star to move as, as you yeah. discover. So let's say you become a people manager and you're like, maybe I don't want to be a CTO. Maybe I want to, or, or, or you come up with an idea for a company and you're going to move your North star. But yeah. again, I'm saying it should be a conscious choice. It should be a thought out choice. You should not necessarily always react to the circumstance in front of you. You should, you should have a thought out. Where is this taking me long-term? I think the, and so the, again, mistake, the mistake I made, Steve, was I suppose it wasn't the North star I was looking at in the past. It was more, I wasn't looking at what made me content and what I wanted to do when I retired. And the way I've tried to change the way I look at things now from a career point of view isn't for that that last job, but it's what I need to do to achieve my end goal, my North Star, which ironically is renting out jet skis on a beach somewhere warm. So nothing to do with cybersecurity. <laughs> but I think I think I think underlying all of this is super important to keep that in perspective as well, isn't it? Well, and I have people that when I've had my North Star discussion say their North Star is their family. Yeah. Uh, and, and if your North Star is your family, then maybe you don't want to be the CISO of a Fortune 500. <laughs> exactly that. <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's probably not a nine to five job. No. Um, and, and but I think and again, that's a very legitimate choice. If your North Star is spending time with your family, then again, Think about the opportunities that are you're accepting. Uh, I was just talking to somebody last week who said they took a job that now they're working 80 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, and they're frustrated and they're trying to figure out if it was a good decision. Um, yeah. I can answer so, that one. <laughs> no, I think, I think for me, it's everyone. I mean, our whole lives, we're brought up to look to the next thing. So we're at primary school. We're looking forward to getting to high school. We're at high school. We're looking forward to leaving and going to college. We're then looking forward to getting our next job. We're then looking forward to getting promoted. We're then looking forward to getting our first big car. And it's for me, it's important to remember that it's the journey that is the bit you're meant to be enjoying. So back to what you just said about the person you spoke to who's now doing 80 hours a week and super stressed. They might have double as much money as they had at their previous job. But if the quality of life isn't what you want, it isn't the thing to chase, is it, Steve? Well, and a, and a couple other ways to look at this. One is she enjoys what she's doing. So more, more time at work, but not miserable at work. Okay. So that's a legitimate factor. The other part of this is um, she needs to learn to set boundaries. Yeah. Uh, Saying you know, no is one of the hardest lessons to learn, isn't it? You know, is 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 what's going to happen if I stop work at six versus 10? Well, probably nothing. I'm never going to get everything done. And so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give one of my favorite stories is, uh, have you ever heard the story about putting rocks into a jar? A long time ago. Refresh my memory. Right. Steve. So let's say I have, I have two large rocks uh, a handful of medium-sized rocks and a pile of sand. Yeah. The big rocks are the most important things to get done 
the medium rocks are are important but not critical and the sand is just ankle biters yeah <laughs> well if i put all the sand in first none of the big rocks you're going to get in and only half of the medium rocks if i put the two big rocks in i'm probably going to get two or three of the mediums and a portion of the sand and so i think it's important to us to remember you know if if i stop at at 60 hours versus 80 hours how much of that is sand yeah great great analogy spot on yeah absolutely that we all, we're all guilty of um maybe not focusing our minds on the relevant tasks and i think for it's, me it's hard i, I mean I, i've i've kind of been diagnosed with adhd a couple of years ago so for me learning to manage that involves lists and meditation so for me I'm sorry, I got distracted. What were you saying? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And so, um, and it's discipline. And for me, uh, this is completely, I speak with forked tongue. Uh, I'm giving great advice. Some days it's very hard to follow (laughs) these things I'm telling you. So none of this is easy. Uh, You know, and and I'm very much like you. I, I, I need something physical to follow a plan. Yeah. Uh, that, that, you know, why am I working on this when I have this priority over here is easier I mean, my, for me. My, my, technique, my technique is very simple where I write down everything I've got to do in one massive list. And then I go back through the list and go back to your analogy of the big rocks, medium rocks and sand. I'll then prioritize that list. And for me, being able to tick those things off gives me a massive amount of satisfaction in my ADHD adult brain. So brilliant i love it so real quick um if you're a ceo then i need to know about marketing i need to know about uh personnel hiring and firing i need to know where i'm going to get finance from who's going to invest in me it is a it is a broad complex um skills to run a company So it's not just having a good idea about cyber. Um, The next is if you're a CTO, then I as a CISO spend very little time doing things technically. Um, You know, if if I were to go back and and run a penetration test right now, I would need a month to rebuild a box. I would need, (laughs) well, I would need a month to figure out which tools were valid and which of the tools I used to use are still usable then I need a month to build the box. Then I need two months to master the tools and get the skill sets back. I so knew, I knew we had something in common. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, being a pen tester is hard. And, and it, it's, it's as many of these technical skills atrophy. And since I'm not doing it, you know, I spend time, my, my, the chairs on my stool are, are leadership, but my expertise is more around managing risk, having a budget, vendor management. You know, my expertise at the CISO skills are different than a pen tester's. And so, uh, again, if you want to be the CTO, you're going to spend more time on the keyboard and and less time in PowerPoint, Um, briefing PowerPoint. And and the last is CISO. and And I just kind of touched on a couple of those skills, but it's largely leadership and business and being a business partner and and understanding risk and, and operating, you know, I don't care if 
one server was taken over. I care about, you know, things that scale. Yeah. Uh, so what's going to, what's going to break the trust of my customers? What's going to cause such a financial impact that our next, you know, quarterly revenue brief is impacted. That's the things I'm thinking about. I'm in having a discussion about where the business is going and how to secure that. And actually I'm talking, maybe bringing up ideas about where the business should be going. And so um, you can kind of see, depending on what your last North star is, um, some of the things you should be thinking about. It's really, really, really insightful, Steve. Thank you. Um, while we're on the whole career career debate, there's a new buzzword or new terminology or newish terminology. It's been around since I've been in the industry. VCSO, which seems to be very topical. Do you have an opinion on that? On the virtual? Yeah. Do you think so, there's... So I think um, there are virtual CFOs. I actually saw there are virtual CEOs. And I think that if if you're a technology person who has an idea for a cyber capability, but you you're not a you know you don't want to be a CEO, but you can't afford to hire a CFO, a part-time virtual CEO or yeah. CFO or now overall, I think it's a dangerous idea. Um, I think that that the core function is so important, but I can see a place where smaller startups, it may be appropriate. Um, I, think, um, I think there's there's a huge gap in the market there for the smaller firms that the industry kind of isn't tailored for because of the cost of services and the cost of advice and the, the cost of testing. And the, but the, and, and so, the, main, the main thing to start with surely for them is education and awareness though, isn't it? Because your average small business wouldn't have a clue about asset registers or, you know, what they need to defend because they don't know anything about cybersecurity. And I think that is one of the biggest issues we've got to face. So if, if I'm a small company and I have two people, that's my entire I, IT department, you know, and I hire a virtual CIO, they're going to come in and write policy and vision. And then I might get a, a virtual CFO that's going to write my budget and a partial, you know, a part-time or a virtual CISO who's going to, again, write policy, write vision, um, make sure I'm, you know, think about compliance uh, and help guide me in some decisions. But then at what point should I hire a, a full-time CFO, CIO, CISO? That's where I think the danger is. Yeah, it can, can be very difficult. Um, Steve, I'm conscious that we've now... We've now hit the 45-minute mark, which is how long I told you that the recording would be. I know you're a really busy man. So is there anything you want to finish off on? Some last last, last words of advice for our audience today. I said I would talk about certification, so let me do that real quickly. Here. Wait, wait, um, well, as long as, as long as you've got the time, I just didn't want to, didn't want to go over your time, Steve. Yeah, I'm happy, happy, I'm happy, happy to, to do a little longer. Water while you talk about certification, sir. <laughs> so... Um, Within certifications, uh, you know, <clears throat> when I got my CISSP, um, the first pint I had after that, I forgot 80% of what was on that test. <laughs> um, you know, and so certifications 
are are things that HR and auditors love. So, you know, if you look at a job rec out there, um, it probably has some certification on it. And then next to it has years of experience if you don't have that. Uh, and so I, I like certifications because, you know, they, they get you through the HR gate. Yeah. I like certifications because they create an artificial requirement for me to go study things. I don't know that I, I'm worried about certifications. If when I see people, I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the questions and the questions are going to tell me whether or not they know what they're talking about. Um, I think so that, that brings up the point as well about, um, I used to work with someone in financial services who could memorize exams very, very easily, but they had absolutely no understanding of the topic that they've learned. And there's a danger, I think, with certificate gathering, which is what you see lots of people doing, where what you really need to be doing is understanding what you've learned and being able to apply that in a situation rather than just being able to remember the answers to questions. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And so, yeah, I, again, I encourage you to, to get a certification for the right reason, which is it, it gives you HR credibility and audit credibility not necessarily that you think it's going to give you the skills you need to go get a job. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then last, uh, real quick, um, you know, I, at the beginning I said, I would talk about things I think about when getting a job. So first I said it already network, um, manage your network. Most of us get a job, not through a blind application, but through people recommending us. Yeah. Um, the next is, I talked about a support system. If you're looking for a job, there's a lot of rejection involved. Uh, have a support group, use your support group. Um, you know, think through the, your support group on making sure your resume is up to date. Your LinkedIn or any public facing aspects of you should reflect your resume or your CV. And it should be done in a way that that presents what you've accomplished, not what positions you've held. I don't care what your job was. I care what you did. And yeah. so talk to me about how, what your impact was. Um, this is a skill like anything else. You've heard me talk about developing skills. Interviewing is a skill. You know, go practice it. Do mock interviews, watch videos, read on it, however you learn, uh, have your friends interview you, practice, practice, practice. So when you go out and have to do the interview, you're not caught off guard. Your brain is used to rapidly answering those. And the last piece of advice I'll offer you is um, treat getting a job like a job. If you're serious about finding a new job and you're working two hours a week on it, then my statement to you is you're not serious about getting a job. If you're not looking 20 hours a week, then you're not serious about getting a job. And people will say, well, I don't have anything else I can do. Then you're not serious about getting a job. I think I think the other point you made about um, how people get jobs is extremely relevant. So you see a lot of people on LinkedIn saying how many resumes they'd sent out that day. I've sent 50 resumes today, nothing back. I mean, there's there's a moral there as well, isn't there? If you're doing something and it's not working, change it. Well, and, and, some... and if they sent 50, none of them are tailored. Exactly. You know, exactly if, that. If, 
if you haven't cut and pasted things out of the job rack into your resume, yeah, then you're not trying. No. And it is it is those ones in my short time in the industry and on social media. I've only been on, on LinkedIn for about 15 months now. The ones I've seen leap over the others are the ones demonstrating what they've learned online, building relationships with those that can help them and are in the positions that they want to be. And finally, the positivity is a huge thing as well, because for any employer out there who's looking to take people on, they don't want to see people whinging and moaning about how hard it is. You know, back to what you said, it is a full time job. It is hard. And no matter how fed up or excuse my friends, peed off you are, you've got to put a smile on your face when you're looking for a job and, and pretend you're happy, Steve. <laughs> that's where your other point came in it's all right to pretend as long as you've got a support network or a community around you where after the interview or after the post you've done on linkedin you can go oh i've had a terrible day and get it all off your chest and i think that is crucial yeah social engineering is a real skill uh yeah. and a skill i uh i think can be used for both good and evil very much so. I mean, I, I think I told you the story when we first spoke. I social engineered my way into a job in the industry, and I'll happily share it live because it wasn't malicious. It was I didn't have an online presence, so I was using my wife's Facebook account to help market her video promos and ended up introducing myself to a uh, person who I ended up working with. But I was completely honest from that moment. You know, it's, it's Laura, it isn't, it's Simon. But, you know, again, that's social engineering and it just shows the power of, of networking as well. The, the other thing that you see Absolutely. that people, people get a job quickly are the ones who are doing the networking and, and not just liking comments or following people. It's engaging in posts that, that people who you want to aspire to be or, or perhaps in the job that you want to do, engaging in the comments and adding some value to it, I think. Again, back to that not copy and paste approach. Yeah, and, and like I said, I'm incredibly blessed. Akamai is an amazing company. Uh, I was a, a satisfied customer and, and was able to come over here. And, and I'm in a company that just has a positive culture. Uh, and I've been able to work at, at uh, you know, Charles Schwab, uh, Nordstrom, and here three companies that really care about their customers. It's such, such a blessing to be able to, to be in those kind of companies. So I hope everybody uh, to find a home like that. Uh, I encourage all of you to, you know, kind of actively manage your careers, whether or not it's through my advice or something else, but uh, yeah, just be careful about wandering through your career. Thanks again for your time. And, and I hope everybody uh, got something out of this. Steve, it was it was absolutely amazing. And before we wrap things up, I suppose I should do a quick plug, um, put a little banner at the bottom there. I do host an independent free global cybersecurity community called InfoSec Live. We have got some free training courses on there, not for cybersecurity topics, but for goal setting that I put together myself based on my 30 years of sales and marketing experience and also on uh, listening skills as well, because... <sighs> You see it happen a lot where people are having conversations, but not a true dialogue. And what a true dialogue is, is when two people have the same interest, they're listening to what each other say and actually responding rather than waiting till the person speaks and then saying their point. And I think 
those soft essential skills, if they're brushed up on, can make a massive difference, not only on the interview situation, but also in, in your job as a whole. So thoroughly recommend you to come along and join. It's absolutely free. We have weekly meetings for the members to get together and share best ideas and practice. Again, if you enjoy the content, please do like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Steve Winterfield, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.